0: Welcome to Living the Reclaim Life Podcast. I'm Denisha. We're glad you're here for conversations that revive hope, inspire healing, and encourage you to live a vibrant life with Christ. So grab a cup of coffee as we chat with today's guest. Today, I am so excited to introduce you to Lori ne- Nevrosky. Did I say that right, Lori? You did. Okay, good. <laughs> And, you know, today, as as Lori and I are talking, we are going to talk about a topic that I think possibly we, in some ways, gets talked about a lot, and in other ways, doesn't get talked about a lot. And we're going to talk about something that has statistically affected one out of four women, and that's in your workplace, on social media, and also in our churches, and that's the topic of abortion. And so Lori, thank you so much for being with us today. And Lori is the recovery services manager at Hands of Hope, which here in Tucson, that's our local pregnancy medical center. So when a woman finds out she's pregnant and it's unexpected, she um, will come to Hands of Hope and they take amazing, um, amazing care of these ladies. I've taken several um, friends over to you guys and it has just been a loving, warm experience for them. So thank you for all that you guys do.
1: Oh, you're very welcome.
0: Yeah. So, Lori, tell us what does a recovery services manager do there?
1: Yeah. So, I um, I've actually been working at Hands of Hope since 2006. Um, so, approaching 15 years. <laughs> so, it's been a long stretch. Um, and recovery services—it's one of our three pillars. And what what I do is focus on just what it sounds like, that recovery aspect. So I do counseling for women and men um, and couples who've experienced any type of pregnancy loss. So that can be ectopic, miscarriage, stillbirth, early infant loss. Um, And then obviously we also do focus on recovery from um, an abortion experience. So I do... um, individual counseling. Um, I've got a master's in counseling um, that I got about seven years ago. And I also, uh, we facilitate groups for women and for men, and we also have a weekend retreat. So a couple of different ways um, to, to get that healing for the abortion recovery. And, you know, we just, we know that that is such an important piece. So a lot of times pregnancy resource centers, focus more on that intervention side Mm -hmm. and helping women not make the choice for abortion, which is certainly a huge thing and very important. Mm -hmm. But we recognize that reality that there are so many women and men who have already made that choice. And for a lot of people more than once um, in the course of their lifetime. And so, you know, they're struggling uh, a lot of them and need healing and need help with that And they, we just, we don't like the fact that they often get ignored.
0: (laughs) And I think that's the part that we don't hear talked about a lot. What about, you know, the women and men? who have experienced that. So I so appreciate the work you guys do with giving a voice and giving a place for healing for those men and women. And that would have been my mom um, that would have, you know, needed that had she, she's been passed away for about 20 years now, but that's something that my mom would have needed to, and would have had a safe place to come to. So I love all the work that you guys are doing there we sure hear about the topic of abortion a lot, but we don't always hear the aftermath and see the aftermath that women and men are left with and their families as well.
1: Right. And that that's huge. And there's so much um, guilt and shame associated Mm -hmm. with abortion. Um, Yeah. I'm not going to say that every single person who has an abortion has a negative impact from it. Depending on your worldview, I certainly think there it's possible to make that decision and, and be okay with it. Um, but the reality is that there are a lot of women and men who struggle with that decision afterwards. And they're the ones, I think, that fall through the cracks because this is an issue that's been so politicized that people don't feel safe to talk about it because they're afraid of being judged for having made that decision. Or they don't talk about it because they feel like they don't have a right to be hurting from it because it was a choice. Mm. And so, yeah, that group of people just um, often is kind of ignored. Yeah,
0: I can imagine. Well, thank you for all the work that you do there. That's wonderful.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Tell us a little bit about Lori. So we know that you are changing, helping change lives and help people find healing right through through their experiences. And tell us a little bit about you.
1: Yeah. So I, um, I'm divorced. Um, I don't have any children. Um, I'm very much an animal lover. So Mm. I've got a house full of dogs and cats, (laughs) three (laughs) and three. Um, Uh and I really, I love nature. Um, I think that's the best way to to say who I am. That's my way of connecting with God. Um, I just love being out wherever, whether it's a beach or a forest or in the mountains or the desert, um, hiking, just walking, just being out somewhere. Um, Photography is is definitely a hobby, but it's all nature-type photography. Um, So yeah, that's... A, big reason why I like Tucson so much. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago. never liked the big city. Um, Tucson is getting a little bit too big for me now. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't plan on leaving. I've been here about twenty five years. and um, but yeah, just being able to do so much outdoor stuff in this area is is what I love. so
0: yeah it's we kind of got laughed at a little bit by some of our friends who are encountering two feet of snow this past weekend and we had a little we had a dusting and got real excited about it huh? <laughs> yes
1: yeah, I grew up in the snow so I definitely I can't say that I get excited about it <laughs> when we get it here. I'm still like no, we don't need it here. <laughs> do it
0: the desert is gorgeous covered in it smell,
1: though, is, isn't it it? Is, it's very different than I expected you know growing up in the midwest to me desert meant sand all over the place I, I didn't realize how green the desert was mm. before moving here uh so yeah so I I just love being able to be outside yeah yeah
0: how fun it's fun getting to know you <laughs> <laughs> we've crossed paths a few times over the well, last yeah. few years and it's fun getting to know you So how did you, so 25 years ago, you came to Tucson. How did you end up at Hands of Hope?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that was um, an interesting, so really starting to work at Hands of Hope occurred after I started dealing with the abortion that I had had. Um, So prior to that, I was actually working at a cat shelter. I was a veterinary technician. I had spent probably about 15 years working in boarding kennels and grooming shops and vet clinics and at the cat shelter. Um, And it was during that time that I started dealing with the abortion that I had had 20 years previously. Um, And as I healed from that, I realized that I wanted to go back to what I had gotten my college degree in, which was social work but I had never worked in the field um, because of stuff that had happened to me. Uh, And so, yeah, so I realized that I wanted to go back to what I had originally wanted to do with my life. Um, And I had started volunteering at Hands of Hope and a job position, an employee position came up uh, and I got hired for that. And I guess the rest is history, as they say.
0: That's awesome. Now, these years later. Yes. So, Laura, you mentioned that you had had a past abortion experience. Do you mind sharing a little bit about that and and just telling us about how life brought you there and what that was like for you?
1: Sure. So, um, like I said, I grew up in Chicago. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, went to church my whole life. And when I was, you know, it's interesting, I Obviously doing the counseling work that I do now, I hear so much about, you know, broken homes and, and just, you know, horrible growing up that people endure and that kind of stuff. But from, you know, for all practical purposes, I grew up in a very good home. I I was very fortunate to have a good home life, Um, you know, no drugs, no alcohol, Christian parents, um, extended family around, all of that, and going to church and, Yeah, I guess the lesson from that is it doesn't matter how good your home life is, stuff can still happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I actually, when I was in high school, um, was sexually abused by the youth pastor at the church that we went to. Um, He was married. He was nine years older than me. Um, And it, it, you know, looking back, I can see all the grooming that took place really starting when I was about 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the sexual part of it didn't start until I was 17. Um, but it, it had been, things had worked up to that over about a two-year time period. Um, I found out I was pregnant, and he immediately suggested abortion. I mean, it was just, um, mm-hmm. there was no, question of anything. And what's interesting when I look back at that is this was 1984. So Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. So 11 years after Roe v. Wade. And I thought abortion was illegal at that Mm -hmm. time. Um, It was never talked about at home. It was never talked about in church. But I'm sure I had heard bits and pieces and things about it. And I thought it was illegal. So when he suggested it, I immediately said, you know, no, I'm not going to do that. And he asked me why. And I said, well, that's illegal. And he said, well, you know, it's, it is legal and it's really not a big deal. And so it, it really was about three weeks. Um, from the time that I found out I was pregnant until I had the abortion. And over that course of time, he was pressuring me to make that decision. And then he started to threaten um, to kill him, that he was going to kill himself if Mm -hmm. I did. Now he also had an infant son at the time that I was doing a lot of babysitting for. So I was quite attached to him and His really the youth pastor, the words that he used were, Do you really want to be responsible for his son to growing up without a father? So, in my mind, I was 17, obviously, nobody knew this was going on, and I saw it as a choice between either his death and all of the people that that was going to impact, or I was going to have an abortion. And I can honestly say that there was never a time that I thought of this as anything other than a baby. I mean, I, I knew what pregnancy was as much as I could at 17 back then, but I knew it was a baby. I mean, I, you know, there was no question. It wasn't like I thought it was just a clump of cells or anything like that. I, there was no buy-in to that kind of rhetoric So I saw it as a choice between two lives, and I rationalized that the abortion would have the least amount of impact on the fewest number of people. And I can remember thinking it through like that. Um, And, you know, with nobody speaking into it other than him, um, I I just basically stopped arguing with him. You know, I, I don't know that I, I can't honestly say that I actually made a choice where I thought this was the best thing to do. But I do know that I stopped arguing with him and decided to just do what he wanted me to. Uh, he did take me to a Planned Parenthood to confirm the pregnancy. And, you know, again, back then, there weren't laws really governing abortion. And so I didn't have to show any ID. Um, they did a pregnancy test, asked me if I knew what I wanted to do. I said, I was thinking about having an abortion and they said, okay, gave me a piece of paper with a list of clinics and said, you know, if you call today, you can probably get in in a week or two. So no counseling, no information on options, no information on fetal development, no discussing potential, you know, physical complications to an abortion procedure, nothing. Um, So it, 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 it hurts when I think back to that time and realize that there wasn't a place like hands of hope for me to go to. Yeah. Um, and I, that makes me even more glad that I work for a place like this mm-hmm. and knowing the information and the help that we do provide to women in that situation. Um, so yeah, made the phone call, scheduled the appointment um, and not everybody, I think, remembers experiences like I do. <laughs> you know, obviously everybody is different. I remember that day like it just happened. I mean, literally, I can remember what I was wearing. I can remember what the outside of the clinic looked like. Um, went in. Uh, it was two hundred and fifty dollars cash only. Uh, again, no ID. Um, so I gave them went in, gave them their money. Signed a piece of paper. I don't even know what it said because I didn't read it. Um, sat down in the waiting room. It was an old kind of, you know, when, when you think about a doctor's office, they're usually decorated kind of nice and have magazines around and maybe TV screens. It was just dumpy, mm-hmm. um, just all old looking, dimly lit, no magazines, nothing. You know, there were other people in the waiting room. Nobody was really talking. Um I remember my name being called, and he left at that point. Um, and I went to the back, and I was actually told that I was gonna have to meet with a counselor. And I can remember thinking, maybe they'll give me a way out of this. So mm-hmm. even as I was going back to have this done, I was still thinking, is there any way that I cannot do this? Mm-hmm. Um, the counseling turned out to be not counseling. (laughs) I mean, it was basically, um, you know, don't use tampons, don't douche, don't have intercourse for two weeks after. And they gave me a handful of condoms and said, don't let this happen again. Um, Mm -hmm. and I had already changed into the hospital gown. So, you know, changed into the gown, ready for the procedure, go sit down at a desk, talk to somebody. That's all the information I was given. And then it was go into the procedure room. Um, the doctor did not introduce himself at all. It was just, you know, I was already on the table and kind of ready to go. And he came in, um, said, you know, you're probably eight to 10 weeks pregnant um, and started the procedure. And I can remember when I heard, so I, I was I was not under any kind of anesthesia. I was given a local anesthetic, but there was no sedation or anything. So I was awake for everything, um, heard everything, saw a canister behind him start to fill up when the suction got turned on. And it was really at that moment, that was the first time that day that I kind of started to cry. And I remember thinking, this is the worst thing I could ever do. Mm. This is such a huge mistake. Why am I doing this? But at that point, you know, there's really no turning back. Um, It was over in about 15 minutes. um, It was instructed to go back and get dressed uh, and then brought into another room where there were probably I don't know six to eight other women um, you know so so much for any kind of HIPAA laws you know and, and granted they didn't have them back there back then but um, yeah I mean no privacy at all so there's you know six to eight of us all in a room um, with a bunch of they kind of, they looked like army cots to me so not even comfortable um, just lined up around the room against the walls. And we all, you know, again, just everybody keeping to themselves and not talking and some people crying. Um, we were in there for maybe, I don't know, half hour or so. And given um, as a group, just passed out bottles of antibiotics to each one of us and then brought us to the back of the building and let us out the back door. Um. And that was pretty much it. And I mean, I, I would say that I was already shutting down emotionally when I walked in, um, and that just continued to get worse. So by the time I walked out, it was. I mean, I don't, I don't believe in the whole out of body experience kind of thing, but it really was kind of like that. It, it was just kind of this okay, I need to get going with my life and continue living and, um, but everything was just real automatic, um, and disconnected, I guess. Um, so this was on a Friday and two days later I was sitting in church, um, knowing what I had done and thinking that it was kind of weird, like, you know, two days ago I was pregnant and today I'm not, Hmm. um, wondering if anybody could tell by looking at me what I had done, terrified that something was going to happen physically, you know, complications or infection or something. And my, you know, I would have to tell my parents, um, I didn't have any complications, which, you know, again, looking back, I'm grateful for, I mean, I, I think that that's, one place where I can see God in all of that, even though I didn't invite him into it. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just was, you know, there, there wasn't anything to do at that point. I wasn't glad that it was over and done. I wasn't relieved about anything But I, I just, I knew that I didn't have a choice now, but to just continue on with life. And there was no point in talking about it or thinking about it because it was done and it couldn't be changed. Um, and just kind of tried to put it behind me. Um, but it was only, that was February of 1984. So about three months later is the first time I got drunk. Um, and I really, I, I didn't really care a whole lot. I mean, I, I already knew that I was starting to get into that mindset of, you know, I didn't really care what happened um, and just kind of doing reckless things. Um, so, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't tell anyone about it. A uh, few years later, I did a couple of times mention it to somebody. And, you know, I I know that people probably meant well when they said what they said, but it wasn't at all helpful. I I can remember distinctly one person saying, well, you asked for forgiveness, right? And I said, yeah, well, then don't worry about it. Okay. So for me, what that said was, you're forgiven, but the way you feel is the way you should feel. And Mm -hmm. that's how you're going to feel for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Which was guilty, ashamed, sad, you know, all of those kinds of things. Um, And I, someone else who I shared that with um, said, wow, you're really strong. I don't think I could live with myself if I made that decision. (laughs) Oh, there's not encouragement. In and that, I was at that time kind of on and off, I would say, thinking about not seriously thinking about suicide, but mm. the thought had crossed my mind. So, you know, to hear that, I was like, hmm, OK, so I should feel this way, too. Um, so, yeah, I I went to college and um, I interestingly enough, I actually started in nursing school. Um, and got through three years of a nursing degree and the last semester of my junior year was my maternity clinical and that really messed me up. Um, I, you know, it was the first time I saw anything about fetal development and understood what, what I really had done. And so two weeks before my senior year, I changed my major to social work, um, and my reason for it was if I become a social worker and if I work with unwed mothers and if I save enough babies, it'll make up for what I did. Mm. That, that was word for word what my decision was. Now, granted, I didn't tell anybody that. I told them I didn't like nursing and decided to change my major. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, it, it really, it totally changed the whole trajectory of my life, like completely.
0: It sounds like it, even as you were saying that you had gotten drunk for the first time and had thoughts of suicide. Would you, Uh would you say that you may have found yourself there had you not had that experience or do you feel like it was a direct correlation to having, having the abortion?
1: I honestly, you know, after going through the counseling and, and that, that I've had, I really do believe it was directly related to the abortion. I mean, I, you know, again, like I said earlier, everybody is different in how they respond to this. Um, I was actually diagnosed with PTSD mm. as a direct result of the abortion. Um, mm. So, and and granted, you know, the abuse that, that occurred, that led to the pregnancy and all that, that certainly played a role. Um, but just in recovery from everything, it was very definitely the abortion that caused the PTSD. So,
0: wow. And that's a lot for a 17 year old to, to take (laughs) in and kind of make sense of, isn't it?
1: It was, and it it was the first, you know, I, I had never experienced any kind of real loss in my life. At that point, my grandparents were still living. So, yeah, I mean there there weren't any traumatic events in my life that I had to navigate prior to that. Um, you know, aside from the occasional hamster that died. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it it really was. I mean, I I did just tuck it away and didn't deal with it because I didn't know how to.
0: How did God begin to start pulling that out? You mentioned you tucked it away, which I hear so many women say they tucked it away and, and didn't, didn't even want to look in that door in their heart. How did God start to begin to move you towards healing and restoration?
1: It, it took a long time. Um, so, you know, I, I did tuck it away. But, it, you know, if, if you think about it in terms of like closing something away in a closet, there was still something showing from underneath the door. Mm. So it was never completely out of my conscious thought. Um, every year around the time of the abortion, which is February 24th, every year around what my due date would have been, which was September 24th. Um, I thought about it more every year. I thought about how old that baby would have been. Mm. Um I did get my degree in my undergraduate degree in social work. And when I was a senior and in my last semester, I had to do an externship. And so I did that at a um, place similar to Christian family care agency. So Christian adoption and foster care center. And I was actually working with kids that were in foster care and supervising their visits with their bio parents. And During that time, I know that something shifted in my head and in my perspective. Excuse me. So up until that point, I hated what I did. I I hated the decision that I made. But during that time that I was doing that externship, I was really angry about the fact that these bio parents, who, who really, a lot of them had done horrible things to their kids. But they were maybe going to get their kids back because they were doing what the judge wanted them to do. And yet they were in these loving Christian homes. And I just, I had a hard time reconciling that. Like they're in a better place with these Christian families than if they go back to their bio parents. I don't think they should have that option. And there was one day when I thought that, at least their kids are still alive. Mm -hmm. They're getting a second chance because their kids are still alive. Not only are you no better than them, but you're worse than them because you killed your child. Mm -hmm. And so it shifted from hating what I did to hating myself because of what I did. Mm -hmm. And so all of that self-condemnation, judgment, Mm -hmm. all of that then really started bulldozing me. Um, So over the next several years, I developed a binge eating disorder that went on for years and years. Um, I gradually got more depressed, started dealing with anxiety, a lot of anger. Um, I did get married. Um, Found out after being married that he was an alcoholic um he wasn't drinking at the time that we met and were dating and everything but it wasn't too long after we got married that he started drinking again um i also found out after getting married that he didn't want kids um i just assumed that we were going to have kids and i can, again i can remember thinking that this was my lot in life and this was my punishment um I had my chance to be a mother. I made my choice and I don't deserve to be a mother because of that. And so now this is what life is. Um, So of course I, you know, tried to act like I didn't want kids. I didn't want the responsibility. I didn't want to be tied down, all of that kind of stuff. But deep down, that was all I had ever wanted was to be a mom. Um, So the drinking started, um, in earnest. Um, I was abusing alcohol. Uh, so yeah, life, life got really, really bad. Um, walked away from God. I, I can actually remember the day that I threw out my Bible. Um, I just didn't want to have anything to do with God or the church or anything. Um, but I was still searching for something And so I kind of started dabbling in some of the New Age stuff and Native American spirituality and and all of that kind of stuff um, because I now had this hole (laughs) that wasn't being filled. Mm -hmm. Um, So it really wasn't until 20 years after that I started getting help. I knew something was wrong, but I didn't... I didn't consciously attribute it to the abortion. I knew the abortion bothered me. I knew I felt like I was being punished, but I didn't think there was any relief for that. Mm. Um, I thought about counseling once, you know, every once in a while, but I really it was like, well, they're not going to be able to help me. It this is this is just who I am, and I just have to live with it. And so I never pursued counseling because of that. I believed that God forgave me. um, And I believed I was still going to go to heaven. But I also believed that God didn't want me there. Mm -hmm. And that I was going to, you know, instead of being in the mansion that he's preparing (laughs) for us, that I was going to be in like a shack out in the back 40. And that basically I was going to be led into heaven on a loophole, I did what I was supposed to do by asking for forgiveness, and so he was going to let me in because he had to. That that was really, that was the relationship I had with God at that point. Um, so yeah, it was pretty twisted.
0: <laughs> That's how um, the enemy works, though, right? That condemnation he yes. does, he tells us that. Not not you lied, but you are a liar. He exactly. does try to ingrain that condemnation into where we start beginning yes. to see ourselves through that lens. And that's oh, yeah, not that the totally way God saw you. Identity.
1: Yeah. Um, and I really I didn't want to have anything to do with kids or babies or pregnant women, you know, anyone who I was friends with who got pregnant. That literally was the end of our friendship. I just mm-hmm. I would just stop contacting them, stop getting together with them, because I did not want to be around anyone um, with that, including my sister when she got pregnant with my nephews. Um, I kind of did the obligatory visit um, after the babies were born, but didn't really have a relationship with them at all. Um, So, yeah, 20 years later, I was going to this church, and they did a seminar on abortion, which shocked me that a church was actually talking about this. And just at the very tail end of this three-hour seminar, they briefly mentioned um, that God forgives abortion and you can heal from it. And I just kind of thought, yeah, whatever. (laughs) I'm not sure I believe that. But at this point, it was now about two years later, as I was standing in my kitchen with this knife in my hand, I remembered that. And I... Honestly, I guess I kind of made a deal with God. I said, um, you know, I don't think anything's going to get any better. If you can heal me, great. I'm, you know, I'll do whatever my part is in that. I don't believe that's going to happen. And if it doesn't, I already know what I'm going to do. Mm. So I put the knife away, went to sleep. Two days later, I went in to see my counselor who was a pastoral counselor in town and that was the day that I shared all of this with him. So Mm -hmm. I had been going there for eight weeks and I had never told him about the abuse, the pregnancy, the abortion, none of that. Um, And so this was the first time that I said anything about it. Um, And that really, so September of 2004 was when I started healing from this,
0: Twenty years 20 after years the
1: procedure, after I should have delivered the yeah. baby that I aborted. Wow. So it wasn't it wasn't a fun process, and counseling was incredibly difficult. <laughs> but such a big part of it was having the opportunity to grieve losing my baby. I know that. I developed a relationship with God that I never thought was possible. It it really is. There is no way that I would be okay now with what I did if it wasn't for what Christ did on the cross. Mm-hmm. And all I can do is accept that because God said that was enough. Um, there's nothing I can do to make up for it. There's nothing... He should do or should have done more than what he did. If I really believe that God forgives me and I say I can't forgive myself, then my standard of forgiveness is higher than his, which isn't possible. Before I started volunteering at Hands of Hope, I attended a, a group there that was a Bible study for women who had had abortions. And just getting the opportunity to talk with other people who had been through it, made such a huge difference because it took away that isolation. Um, And even though all of our stories were different, there was still so much similarity um, that it, it really, it helped to validate a lot of what I was feeling Um, and, you know, having the opportunity to grieve, knowing that I had a right to grieve, even though this was a choice, it was still something that needed to be grieved and it was okay to do that. Um, naming my baby, um, Benjamin James
0: mm-hmm.
1: and giving him an identity uh, because abortion is so dehumanizing. Yeah, um, And so being able to think of him as a real person, which he is, you know, there's no question. Um, and knowing that, he's in heaven and there will be a time when I'm there that I'll be able to fully reconcile with him, um, and see him and, you know, whatever, whatever heaven's going to be like. And you'd
0: mentioned earlier that you, you felt like you were slipping in through a loophole into that place, right into heaven and that God tolerated you. (laughs) That was how you felt at one time. How do you feel about God's perspective of you now, now that you've found that healing and, and His forgiveness and what He did for you?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I know that He created people to have a relationship with Him. Um, and He created us in His image and there is something very special in that relationship between us and him. And not only do I know in my head, but I know in my heart that even if I was the only person on the earth, Jesus still would have done what he did on mm-hmm. the cross. And I've, I've had people ask me, you know, when when did that shift happen? Like, when when did you know you were healed? I honestly can't point to a date in time. You know, I just know that as I went through this process, as I was surrendering to him, as I was open to letting him heal me and whatever that looked like, and as difficult as it was at times, um, I just know that that shift kind of organically happened where I wasn't feeling guilty anymore, and I wasn't feeling ashamed anymore.
0: I love the light that you shed on the aftermath of an abortion experience, because we, like you said, we don't talk about that. And I, the way that you experienced it, all the way to finding that freedom in Christ and to finding that He not only Accepts you that you you were able to loot, to get rid of the guilt and the shame. Mm-hmm. We know he didn't have that towards you, and I the pieces of your story. I see such a difference in when you were running away from God versus <laughs> when you began running to Him. Absolutely, it sounds like that was a, a a place that you found the freedom was by running toward Him instead of yes. away.
1: Yeah, and there that was definitely, you know, that was a very conscious shift that I made um, to, okay, I'm I'm gonna give this to him and see what happens. Hmm. You know, I can always do what I'm doing here if I want to. Yeah. Uh, but I'll I'll make a change and and decide to to give him a chance. I mean, it sounds like to me, it sounds crazy that I actually was thinking like that. Like I'm gonna give God a chance. <laughs> But that really was my mindset. You weren't the first and you weren't the last person right. to think that.
0: <laughs> Lori, what would you say to a woman listening right now? And maybe she's had a past experience with abortion and hasn't dealt with that. She's still in that 20-year space that you found yourself in. What would you say to her?
1: You know, I I would there's a few things. So I, I would say, um, a lot of people think they're okay with having had the, you know, like I, I know I'm forgiven. I'm good. It's done. It's in the past. For me, some key red flags that you're maybe not completely okay would be if you have a hard time talking about it. And, and that certainly doesn't mean that you're going to tell everybody that you meet your whole experience, obviously. But if there's any hint of guilt or shame in sharing this experience with somebody else. Um, If hearing judgmental things really puts you on the defensive, if you feel like you have to do anything to make up for it, to atone for it, Mm -hmm. um, if you believe God forgives you, but you struggle with forgiving yourself, those to me are all red flags that you're not as okay as you think you are. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Um, those would be the people that I would say, you know what, give give God a weekend, you know, to come mm-hmm. to a deeper still retreat that Hands of Hope offers. Give God a couple of months to do the Forgiven and Set Free Bible study that we use. Um, give him that opportunity. You know, worst case scenario, you're you're gonna be right where you are when you start, it's not like you're going to get worse <laughs> for having done something like that. Um, but being willing to give him that opportunity to go a little bit deeper in your heart, to do a little bit more healing, it's so worth it. And and I hear that from people so often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I came to this and I really didn't think it was going to make a difference, mm-hmm. but, I can't believe how much freer I am now. Um, so yeah, I, I think that would be the biggest thing and, and to do it sooner rather than later. So I've worked with women in their sixties and seventies mm. who had an abortion 40, 50 years ago Wow, and they're still struggling with it.
0: That's it's beautiful. That they have a place to come to find that release to you, to, to, Get rid of that shame and that guilt.
1: Yeah. And that's why I love what I do because it, you, you know, it's, it's nothing that I'm doing. I, I'm yeah. kind of the conduit, the facilitator for God to do his thing in somebody's life. I can't make them be open to it. I can just kind of help, you know, maybe give some insights, ask them some questions to get them to think about things a little differently. But it's God doing the work. Yeah. And I love seeing that transformation that happens.
0: Oh, I'm so glad that he led you on this path to where you are now, Lori. We need you. (laughs) We need you doing this here in Tucson alone. And if a woman is, um, if she's not in Tucson, say she's in another part of the country or another part of the world, do most pregnancy medical centers or resource centers have some sort of healing um, program
1: available? Yeah, I would say, you know, I guess I can't say 100% but certainly the vast vast majority of pregnancy resource centers are going to have some type of post abortion recovery something awesome. <laughs> awesome counseling class whatever um the retreats that we do uh, are de- are called deeper still and that's not our own retreat it's actually a ministry that we partner with so deeper still is based in Knoxville, Arizona, Arizona, Knoxville, Tennessee. And um, they have their website is deeper, deeper org, And so they have a list of retreats that are happening all across the country. If you look up Rachel's Vineyard, if you look up deep go dot org, um, or like I said any other pregnancy resource center would have information on, on healing from that. Um, and, you know, certainly somebody could get in touch with me and I can help them find something wherever oh, that might wonderful. be.
0: <laughs> You're wonderful. Lori, how would they contact you if someone wanted to reach out to you personally?
1: Uh, probably the easiest way would be uh, to get a hold of me at the center here at Hands of Hope. So my um, email address is lnavrotsky at hoh2sun sun.com. So it's L N A V. R O D T Z K E at H O H
0: And you can see why I was worried about saying your last name wrong. Yes. <laughs>
1: It's
0: a lot of letters. (laughs) It sure is. It sure is. Well, Lori, thank you so much for sharing your story and being so vulnerable with our listeners that it makes such a big impact for women who are listening to know they're not alone. Or maybe even they have a friend who has an abortion experience. And as they begin to talk or share, they'll know a little bit more about how to meet them within their story and and hold space for them to share in a safe place. So I think you've equipped a lot of people by sharing your story today and we appreciate you so much and thank you for the work that you're doing here at hands of hope it is really it's incredible all that you guys have done i've been following you guys for probably close to 15 years now <laughs> and i uh, love the work that you do and that was before i knew my story actually I just found you're out right? my story two years ago so right. uh, you guys have are an amazing pillar in our community so thank you well, for well, all you're you. doing we
1: love what we do
0: You sure do. Well, thank you, Laurie. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you so much for listening today. You are not alone. What you are going through is not just yours. There are people around who love you and who care about you and who will help carry that burden with you. So if there's not someone in your life, please reach out to us at Reclaim Story and we would love to provide someone to walk alongside that with you. So thanks for listening today. And I pray that you found hope in today's conversation and maybe even feel a little less alone in your story. Stay connected with Reclaim Story on Facebook and Instagram. Want to learn more about living a reclaimed life and how you can be part of our growing community of reclaimers? Check out our website at reclaimstory.com. Want to learn more about living a reclaimed life and how you can be a part of our growing community of reclaimers? check out our website at reclaimstory.com. All of those links and more will be in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this inspirational podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That is a huge help in helping us help more people live the reclaimed life. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you same time,
1: same place next week.